Hello, fellow Rebel Capitals. Hope you're well. So the new CPI data is out. I got to say, I'm a little bit surprised. Well, considering yesterday's PPI number, I'm not surprised. But, but considering my long-term view, I am. Because most of you know that I got the inflation call right back in 2020 and 2021. And then I got the disinflation call right. Uh, but I thought that inflation would hover right around a range until we had some sort of significant catalyst. Either we have more disinflation because of a financial crisis, stock market crash, banking crisis, et cetera, or the Federal Reserve comes out, or the, uh, better said, the federal government comes out and does more deficit spending, more stimmy checks, more student loan forgiveness, uh, does something to increase velocity or to increase the amount of purchasing power that people have in their back pocket. And therefore, it takes us to that next wave of inflation. I thought there would be need to be another catalyst before we would get out of the range. And this is when we got down to about 3%. So I thought the range would probably be you know, between 2.5% and 3.5% until we uh, hit that next leg of whatever comes next. But uh, according to today, uh, the CPI exceeded expectations. So year over year, we're up to 37 so that was a bit of a surprise. I did not expect that if you would have asked me, let's say, three or four months ago. So let's dive into the details and understand what's going on to try to predict what the Fed will likely do as a result. And maybe even more importantly, how the conflict in the Middle East right now will likely impact future inflation. I mean, if oil goes to $150 a barrel, what does that do to the price of the stuff that you buy at Home Depot, Walmart? And, uh, and target, it likely goes up. But does that mean that we have consumer price inflation? See, that depends on wage. Separate question. But anyway, before I get too far into it, let's go into the details of today's CPI report. And for that, we're going to go to Zero Hedge. Whenever you want details on stuff like this, I've noticed Zero Hedge is really good. CNBC, it's kind of... Or actually, you know what? I should have gone over to the Wall Street Journal as well. Wall Street Journal is usually top shelf as well. But uh, let's focus on Zero Hedge, title, Nothing Here to Convince Fed to Hike in November. This is their opinion. Wall Street reacts to today's CPI. The two diverging views following today's CPI print, the first looks at the hotter headline inflation, which is what we said, which beat expectations both month over month and year over year, and argues that the, but by the way, it only beat it by uh, 0.1% and argues that the Fed will have to hike at least one more time. The second counters by pointing out the continued slowdown in super core inflation, uh, or I think they call that core inflation. They always say excluding the volatile food and energy prices. They always have to say the volatile. <laughs> dun, dun, dun. <laughs> uh, and I guess according to the Fed, or if you want to take them at their word, which I don't, but if you want to take them at their word, I think they pay a little bit more attention to that core rate of inflation. We also want to note that the biggest component or the biggest reason that inflation has gone from 3.0, uh, 3.3 or so, now up to 3.7, they point out, has been shelter. So, and there's some nuance with the shelter number, just like there's a lot of nuance with the jobs numbers that we go over on this channel all the time. Let's get further down the article here. So Zero Hedge tweeted out CPI at its stale, 
stale data. I'm not sure what they're referring to there. The shelter index increased 7.2% over the not, over the last year, accounting for over 70% of the total increase in all items, less food and energy. So they're talking about that core that the Fed says they pay the most attention to. Now, what's really interesting here, and what most of you know from watching my videos, is the way they determine, they, the Federal Reserve or the, the bean counters here, I think this is the BLS that uh, that issues the CPI. The way they come to this number is not by just looking at home prices. And it's not by looking at rents, believe it or not. <laughs> so you say, George, well, how on earth do they determine what shelter costs actually are? Because it's like 33% of the overall number, the overall CPI number. So it's got a very heavy weighting. Well, they do something called an owner's equivalent rent. So from what I understand, they literally call people on the phone and say, oh, by the way, if you had to rent your place, how much would you rent it for? As though the average Joe and Jane that's just you know, worried about their nine to five job, worried about taking their kids to soccer practice, worried about you know what they're going to do with the barbecue on the weekend and what NFL game is on, like they're going to be paying attention to the rental market. I mean, come on. What are we talking about here? So it, it, it's it's not a real good source of data. And I think the reason they do that is so they can kind of manipulate it one way or the other. There's a lot of leeway. There's a lot of uh, subjectivity in the number. And Zero Hedge rightfully points out that if you look at real-time rent indicators, they're actually in free fall. So I know a lot of you would disagree and say, hey, my rents are going up. But if you look at the an aggregate total of the United States, just nationwide, rents, nominal rents, according to this, month over month, have gone down the last couple months. So this is completely, basically contradicts what the shelter index is saying just by that phone survey, which you would expect to be highly flawed. I don't know why they don't just look at rent numbers from like Zillow or realtor.com or something. Again, I think they do it just so they can add a lot of subjectivity based on you know, however the political winds are blowing or whatever the Fed is influencing them, the Treasury. You know, I don't know why they would want a higher inflation number. Um, maybe, again, this gives the Fed cover to raise rates, and the real reason they're raising rates is to hurt our quote-unquote enemies, or entities outside of the United States that have a lot of dollar-denominated debt or that have to import a lot of stuff denominated in dollars, such as oil. This could be a way that they're, you know, quote-unquote, weaponizing the dollar by increasing interest rates. And if they don't have the CPI going up, you know, what would give the Fed cover to continue to increase rates? I don't know. Just a theory that I'm throwing out there. Hey guys, I want to remind you to check out Rebel Capitalist Pro. This is the incredible online investment forum that I have with investment experts, Lynn Alden and Chris McIntosh. It includes professionals such as Patrick Serezna from Macro Voices. He specializes in options. Tony Greer, commodity trading. Jason Hartman, real estate. And Brent Johnson with Macro economics. If you want to build wealth and thrive in this world of out of control central banks and big governments, Rebel Capitalist Pro is the resource you need. So check it out today at georgegammon.com 
forward slash pro. That's georgegammon.com forward slash pro. We'll see you inside with the fellow rebel capitalists that are taking their investing to the next level. So it looks like we've got uh, different takes from a variety of traders, economists, and strategists. Capital Economics says, excluding shelter, the core CPI rose by just 0.1 month over month. Overall, there is nothing here that will convince the Fed officials to hike rates. That's their opinion. They say weaker economic growth to result in rates being cut much more aggressively next year than markets are pricing in. So they would... I guess they would be in the same category or they would have the same opinion as the bond market. And this is exactly what the inversion of the curve is predicting. So they would be in the same camp. CBK, U.S. inflation is cooling, but only slowly. From the perspective of the Fed, uh, the figure probably not worrying enough to trigger another interest rate hike. However, they're not good enough to sound the all clear either. All right. That's an interesting take as well. Oh, here's my good buddy, George Goncalvez. Yeah, he, he's he's awesome. He's on Twitter. What is his Twitter handle? I wish I could remember. It's I've been on Twitter so long because I've been blocked out of my account <laughs> since October or since uh, August 25th. But it's a bond trader or something like that. I want to just give him credit. He's a really good guy. So if you're not following him on Twitter, uh, definitely check him out. The Fed has done, as its recent commentary suggests, a shift from already thinking of moving from high to how long the data in recent Fed speak means it looks harder to get tens uh, to make a run toward five again. Not impossible, but double top in rates in September might prove to be a near-term high. Okay, so what he's saying there is uh, he does not see the 10-year going above five. Uh, let's see. The data in recent Fed speak means it looks hard to get tens yeah, so I guess he's saying that if the Fed wants to get the 10-year Treasury yield above 5%, that it's going to be difficult, not impossible, but difficult. And so I guess his initial sentence would lead you to believe that his view is that the Fed isn't really considering how high they should take rates, but how long they should keep rates where they are right now at, let's say, 5.25% roughly. That's how I'm interpreting what he's saying here. And George, if I got that wrong, I apologize, buddy. <laughs> we'll have to have you come on the show and clarify. All right, so I'm not going to read all of these. Let's go down to J.P. Morgan. The report was almost exactly in line with expectations. The economy is on track for year-over-year headline CPI being 2% or less in the fourth quarter of next year. That's interesting. That's very interesting because what they're doing is they're looking at the month-over-month -month going back 12 months and seeing how high the inflation rates were that are dropping off over the next, let's say, six months, and then assuming that the current rate uh, month over month uh, extends into the future, and that's how they're getting down to that 2% rate. Okay, so then the next thing I think we should be doing is asking ourselves for future CPI prints. You know, okay, we're at 3.7 now, which isn't a great number. Uh, that still means that the prices of the stuff that you buy daily are going up. That's never a good thing. But if we look at this through the lens of what's happening in the Middle East right now, you can see how volatile the price of oil is. And this makes a lot of sense. So you have to ask the question, what would happen to the CPI if oil, let's say, spikes to $150? Hopefully it won't. But if it does, 
Um, and I, I think that's a rather low probability just due to the price action that we've seen in oil since the conflict started. And you would assume that oil would rip higher, which it did initially, but now it's really come down and it's kind of hovering, I think, around 83, 84, something like that. And you would expect it to go from 83 to 88 to 98 to 108 by now if we have uh, continued escalation, which it seems as though uh, it seems very likely. It seems that's how this is playing out. So if oil is going back down, this would lead you to believe that the overall market is seeing the inventory build and saying, okay, well, demand is going to be a lot less than we assume. Maybe the yield curve is right. And those are, I think, the major variables, the major cross currents that are at play right now. But again, let's assume that it does go to 150 for a moment. As you guys know, oil is an input to almost everything. Uh, so does that mean that prices would go up? I think short term, yes. And I just did a whiteboard video on this, I'm looking at that right now. That'll be out on the George Gammon channel. But I think longer term, it'd be very difficult. Why? If you go back to the 1970s and everyone compares, compares this oil shock or potential oil shock to what we saw in the 1970s, it was one of the key variables to having a decade of very, very high rates of, of uh, CPI, very high rates of inflation. Uh, back then, we had incomes actually going up, uh, not just nominal incomes, but real incomes were flat to up slightly if you look at the entire decade. All right, that, that's a big deal because right now, as you guys know from watching the videos yesterday, real incomes in some, in some states, nominal incomes, as far as household incomes are coming down, down, believe it or not. And then you look at M2 money supply in the 1970s, we know what happened there, right? M2 uh, money supply went up, straight up. But now M2 money supply is going down. So, I don't know how long-term, even if oil goes up to 150, how you would have uh, a spike of CPI going up to you know 9 or 10, where we saw it roughly a year ago. Because at the end of the day, the consumer is robbing Peter to pay Paul. Like their incomes are going down, for heaven's sakes. So even if the price of the stuff they're buying goes up, they, they can't afford to buy it anymore. So they have to buy a lot less stuff. And that means that the businesses are selling less stuff. If the businesses are selling less stuff, they're likely hiring fewer employees. And that goes right back to reducing the purchasing power until you get into this kind of doom loop, this feedback loop, where initially higher oil prices, yes, send consumer prices ripping higher, but then it becomes a drag on prices and could possibly even create deflation. It could definitely create a recession or make a recession that we would have gone into even more severe. So that's the way I'm looking at it, but we'll see. Again, I didn't expect that uh, inflation, the CPI, would get to over 3.5 year over year a couple months ago. So this definitely surprised me, but it's all these variables that we have going on with geopolitics, with the price of oil, uh, with the interest rates, with the dollar. We're going to have to pay attention to this very, very closely, which we will do on this channel. All right, guys, enjoy the rest of your afternoon. As always, make sure that you're standing up for freedom, liberty, free market capitalism. If you want to find out how to invest in this insane world of pure chaos, <laughs> this uncertain world we live in, do I buy gold? Do I buy silver, bonds, cash, equities? Who knows? I'm going to be discussing that with my good friends, Lynn Alden and Chris McIntosh. It's going to be right here on this channel, live stream. We're going to discuss what they're doing in their portfolios and hopefully give you some ideas as how you can always survive 
but hopefully build wealth and thrive regardless of what comes our way throughout the rest of 2023, moving into 2024. We'll see you in the next video.